This is Tech Refactored. I'm Gus Hurwitz, the Menard Director of the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center at the University of Nebraska. The Rural Digital Divide, which refers to the challenges of connecting everyone in rural America to the internet and the opportunities that it affords, is one of the most pressing and difficult to solve public policy issues in America today. Our center's ongoing work brings together experts from around the country that have been involved in digital divide policy. One area of focus for our center is bringing together experts from around the country who have been working on digital divide policy for many years to discuss the challenges and potential solutions to this problem. Through a series of roundtables and student opportunities, we capitalize on our location in rural America and our regional relationships with internet service providers, regulators, and users, both big and small, to explore this issue. Last spring, we supported several research projects conducted by academics active in this area of research. Presentation of these projects was ultimately delayed by COVID-19. Instead of the roundtable discussion that we had planned to hold together in person last April, we have met virtually this October to discuss this research. That discussion has been cut down for this podcast and will be presented in a series of episodes over the coming weeks. The Digital Divide series of Tech Refactored episodes will share these discussions with the world, starting with a research team from right here in Nebraska. These episodes will include short presentations from the authors and Q&A from other project researchers. Please be sure to check our website and this podcast post for links to documents and more information on each project and their authors. Up first, we asked all of our authors to pre-record a short discussion of their research to be presented before we convene for our October roundtable. We will start today by sharing the presentation recorded by Angela Holman and Tim Obermeyer discussing their research project titled Rural Measures, Visualizing the Rural-Urban Digital Divide. Dr. Angela Holman is an associate professor in the University of Nebraska at Kearney's Cyber System Department. Dr. Tim Obermeyer is a professor of information networking and telecommunications, also at the University of Nebraska Kearney Industrial Technology Department. After presenting their pre-recorded discussion, we will then turn to a discussion about their research that was recorded with Drs. Holman and Obermeyer, along with the rest of the participants of the roundtable. Thanks to the curiosity of an undergraduate student researcher whom I had the pleasure of mentoring a few years ago, it became a mission to analyze what consumers paid for their internet access in the state of Nebraska. A significant initial disparity was discovered with some basic internet access costs. A few years ago, rural residents were paying 170% more per meg for DSL internet access than urban residents. The cost analysis was recently further refined to quantify the monetary impact of National Exchange Carrier Association tariffs upon the overall cost of DSL internet access. The results revealed that when factoring in the cost of a required landline telephone as a part of NECA tariffs, rural DSL customers paid 126% more per meg than urban residents. But the cost analysis research had substantial limitations being based upon K-12 
carrier advertised rates. We began to examine the question of how to create a system that would obtain a precise measurement of consumer throughput at the residence over a significant testing period of 10 days. And the Bob project was initiated. Big operation bandwidth was a term coined by Dr. Holman. The Bob device was a Raspberry Pi with a GPS hat and LEDs for visual indicators. Early project funding and support came from the Nebraska Public Power District and the Nebraska Rural Electric Association. Like many initial efforts, testing Bob at consumer locations was a tremendous learning experience. It was far from perfect. We set out to create a better system with a completely new software program and a website to activate the units and a comprehensive quality of life survey. The quantitative throughput device was the result of those efforts. The completely revised QT is far superior to its predecessor and it was a complete success in our most recent pilot project. With details on the new QT and the Rural Measures Project, I'll turn it back to my colleague, Dr. Angela Holman. So, the Rural Measures Project does use these QT devices that Tim was talking about to measure speed from the user's perspective. We did this for several reasons. Number one, the QT is independent of any other device on the network. This keeps our device clean, and it collects readings independent of anything else going on in the user's network. Number two, the QT collects speed tests five to seven minutes over a period of seven days for 1,800 readings. This paints a really excellent picture of the true speed during off-peak and on-peak hours. The QT also sends readings back to us in a central repository. This allows us to view your speeds, but it also allows you to, to see your own speeds in a graph format on our website, rulemeasures.com. All participants do have to activate the QT on the Rural Measures website. This activation allows us to track the location of the QT device and make sure it is being placed on the correct network. We'll now turn to the roundtable discussion with Drs. Holman and Obermeyer that was recorded following the presentation of their work in October, featuring discussion of this paper with other authors presenting their own research at this roundtable. Um, we're considered a neutral party as the university. So that's one of the things where we've been talking to some different stakeholders that's cropped up time and time again, is that we don't have a like an interest one way or the other, right? We're just out to seek the facts. So this is an imp important, right? As we look at this bridge that we feel very strongly needs to happen between service providers and communities um, to provide this fact-based approach to what we're trying to accomplish overall, right? Which is visualizing that urban rural digital divide. And we wanna start that here in the state of Nebraska and then move that as a model potentially beyond. I'm talking to Roberto about some things in that, of that nature as well. So we use a research methodology, of course, as researchers at the university. Um, but <clears throat> we also know that this visualization that's previously been produced has some sampling errors and some generalizability errors. And so, we, as our rule measures project, are really seeking to, um, I don't know if you want to say remedy that, but provide a different picture, I guess. So in the previously mentioned pilot that we did this summer, we did start to see a trend in our broadband speeds. And this is hard, hard data, right? We call it hard data, that the further you move away from our, a populated area, the lower your speed gets and the sparser your broadband availability. So this isn't anything new. 
Um, a lot of you on this call know this already. But we also notice that during certain times of the day that broadband speeds almost go down, often go down to zero. And that this trend was also noted the further that you move away from populated areas, um, the more this zero speed issue was occurring. So we take the speed data that we're collecting from our devices too, and we have our participants take a survey and we compare this, this survey has these quality of life factors that then we can compare across to these speeds that we're seeing um, from the customer premise. So the quality of life factors include a satisfaction index um, as noted in our paper, alongside of their overall satisfaction with their internet access. Um, so in comparing those together, right, we're trying to get at quality of life indicators like healthcare access, educational access, um, entrepreneurial efforts, like if I were to start a business, could I accomplish the startup at my home with my current internet connection? And just some other things that we saw, um, especially during COVID with education and working from home. So with that said, I'm gonna turn it over to Tim and he's gonna talk a little bit more about our device. Very good, thank you, Angela. So I do have a couple of things to share about the device. Uh, I'd first like to share that, you know, it's important to note that the QT device shouldn't be deployed at the site of a customer who has a data capped internet access plan. Uh, this deploying there would consume all of the available data capacity on a data cap plan in approximately about a day or two. Uh, and, and the reason for that is our device captures a file from the Ookla service uh, about once every five to seven minutes. Uh, and so the exciting thing about that is that, it, you know, each premise where we locate the device becomes a statistically significant result because overall, over the seven day period, we're collecting roughly 1800 individual readings uh, from the device going out and collecting that speed data. So the exciting thing too, is that we have the ability to create uh, temporal visual patterns and analyze those patterns based upon you know, typical usage time periods uh, during an individual's 24 hour daily cycle. You know, the evening hours, high use hours, sleeping hours and morning hours, so on. Uh, and, and so this whole approach that we're using is, is quite different from the one-off approaches that, that we see occurring uh, where, where folks just go out and reach out to MLAB or UCLA on, on a one-shot basis. So what we've been doing uh, lately, um, you know, we've been uh, working on uh, uh, working past our summer pilot project, which was actually very successful, uh, working in partnership uh, with a, another University of Nebraska entity, the uh, Extension Service. And so uh, here lately, we've been meeting and are meeting again uh, with some FCC committees, uh, and we're continuing to meet with other state entities, uh, most recently with the Department of Economic Development, uh, and we're attempting to branch out and and uh, expand our data collection efforts uh, in, in communities in Nebraska. And we actually have some, um, some budding partnerships that may occur uh, in other states also that we're very excited about. So uh, neat thing about this is uh, both our service providers and communities can gain significant benefits uh, from the study uh, as the visualization that we provide will show those disparities. <laughs> you know, that allows communities uh, a different look at their connectivity issues. And then the two of them can work together uh, in grant funding initiatives, you know, to drive uh, where that infrastructure is sorely needed. 
So I guess with that, um, Gus. Great, thanks Angela and Tim. Uh, we have a couple of questions in the queue, uh, Brian, then Brent. Uh, uh, if you do have another question, uh, we also have a couple others uh, lined up, uh, uh, let me know. Um, uh, so Brian, to you. This idea of combining the speed test results with this quality of life is, I think is really cool. So can you give me a little bit more information on you know, what kind of outcome variables you're collecting from this survey and any preliminary results you might have? Sure. So we are, we're, we're collecting a variety of items, but yet we're trying to keep the survey short enough where people take it, right? So we're collecting their subscribed speed. Um, and we're also collecting the cost so that when we measure, we know whether, we know what package we should expect to see. So I know we um, have some questions sometimes that say, you know, well, you, you get the speed data from Ookla and you have no idea what they're actually capable of, right? Because nobody knows what they're subscribed to when that data is not readily available. So we collect that from the user up front as well as the cost of that package that they're paying for. And then when we're measuring that speed, right, we can see number one, where there's a, a difference in the speed that they're getting versus what they're paying for. And then of course, secondly, um, you know, knowing, okay, they're subscribed to X package, right? So we don't, we don't automatically assume there's a disparity right away, right? If somebody is just subscribed to a lower speed package. So I guess there's that. And then our quality of life indicators that we're really going after is, like I said, there's a satisfaction index there. And we're also collecting the type um, of network that they're connecting to. So they tell us whether they're connected to fiber versus DSL versus terrestrial wireless. And then we can collect kind of a satisfaction index from that to deal with the internet speed, right? So it goes to how many service providers, are you happy with how many service providers you can get internet from? Are you happy with your speed? Can you do what you need to do on the internet? And then we also ask questions um, like, I can Zoom with my friends and family or I can video conference with my friends and family when I want to, and they rate that on a scale. I can have access to whatever remote education that I want, you know, and then they rate that on a scale. But the really cool thing about that is we have that survey with their package and their speed that they're getting. So putting that all together is something that um, nobody, I guess, nobody has that data, but that data provides you with this really rich picture of the needs in an area um, versus the speeds that they're getting and perhaps even the speeds that they need to accomplish um, items that they, they cannot currently. We have Brent, then Michael, and Sarah in the queue, uh, and then Matt also has a, a question in the comments, uh, which is uh, similar to a question that I have. Uh, so Brent, to you. Yeah, just a, a quick technical question. I enjoyed the paper uh, and the project. Uh, I, I assume the, the throughput is, is limited by the subscribe speed of, of the customer? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That was my only question. That was, that was unclear to me. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, it's still going to use Ookla and it's still going to hit their subscribed rate. So whatever is, is the potential of throughput on the network at the time, that's what we're going to collect. I'd be curious to know related to that, um, how confident are you that users actually know or understand their subscribed speed? So we have a don't know, right? And so I would say that there's an education factor that I also see kind of floating to the top. Um, I think we had about, I wanna say it was about a 50% rate during our pilot study that actually knew 
what their speed package was and the type of media that they were connected to like together. Um, more people knew their type of media they were connected to than did their subscribed package. And so I thought right there, there was, there's kind of a big disconnect that, you know, if we can get some more sampling, I think would be really interesting, like interesting to dive down to in and of itself. So the individuals don't know, uh, but what we're trying to do in the social distribution effort, and that's the term we're using to try to encourage the distribution of the units in a community, is that the individuals spread the word uh, that you need to have your bill in front of you um, when you actually do the survey. And so we're trying, trying to stress that through that social distribution process uh, so we can more effectively collect uh, their actual subscribe to data speed. Uh, uh, Michael. Yeah, I guess my, my question was related to Brian just about preliminary results, but um, I'll ask a more specific question. Um, my parents live in Knox County, Nebraska, um, and my mom works from home regularly uh, during COVID. So I was just curious if your units had given any insights in terms of how rural networks have held up during COVID. So we, I mean, we did the pilot study this summer and we kind of did that on purpose to, to start trying to get the word out that we want one more participants. We, we want a focused area of participants though. Um, so our sampling, that's one of the problems, I guess, that we have with our pilot that we were trying to figure out our distribution system during COVID. And so we were trying to test our mailing uh, to and from the, directly to the participants and back to see how many units we lost and how many uh, we got back. So right now we don't have any specific data on Knox County, but that's what we want to do in our next phase is we want to start focusing in and really collecting that regional data. Have you been uh, in communication with any of the local ISPs servicing these customers? And I'm particularly thinking if over the course of your uh, study period an ISP uh, upgrades one of the uh, mid-mile connections or something like that, that could dramatically affect your results. And it would be good to see that discontinuity and understand what caused it in the data. We, we have been, we've been talking to service providers. Um, so far, there's been a lot of hesitation uh, to partner with us from the service provider perspective, but I think we are gaining ground and I do think we have potentially two providers that are talking to us right now. Um, and one of them is a fairly large one. So we're hoping that we can, we can you know, partner with them in some way. Um, we're trying to figure out though the random participant type of sampling versus partnering with the service provider and working out that distribution system. But um, since we collect so many readings too, I mean, you're right, we would see, we would see that dramatic increase, right? Like we would see the sampling before and then the sampling after. Um, so it would still give us a really good picture that something has changed. Okay, uh, Sarah. Um, I really like your project. I think it's good to have like more data. Um, We've recently done um, work with the Comscore Internet Total Home Panel. So it's a similar idea. They put boxes into American homes. It's like the old Nielsen box. And so we have a data set where we can see all the internet browsing behavior for 10,000 homes um, around the clock. And, you know, it's just like a really awesome look at what people are using. Um, so it's similar to what you're doing. You're taking a survey of randomized households and speeds. Um, 
have you thought about like, I don't know, scaling out or selling your data or, I mean, it's really valuable. Um, and also, I guess the question that I had in, in this timeline was, um, how do you compare with like, um, yeah, MLABs data? Um, there's been some critiques about how they measure the number of connections, um, but I guess you're Google. Yeah, it's, it's true. So, I mean, we are, we are contributing directly to those open source databases. And so we are contributing to that pool that anybody is looking at. It's just, we have, um, we have the data on a location specific type of mechanism. So we're, we know where the household is versus um, the UCLA data, which you kind of get a feeling for the county of where the device is. And so our hope is that we can go into a community and we can actually sectorize out that community and then move out into the rural area and get that direct comparison in town and out of town and on a much more granular level than that UCLA data can get. I just think, yeah, more data is better. And, and even, I mean, this is just a comment, like for setting up Zoom calls and, you know, putting in an ethernet cable into my laptop compared to using Wi-Fi, like I got a boost of like X, you know, dozens megabits per second. And, and that's just a digital literacy step for someone like me to just put in a wire, not use Wi-Fi. And then, and then the UCLA data shows much higher speeds. So um, yeah, I agree with you. There's a huge gap on, on, on that part. If I could add just real quick, I think there might be one point there that we, we should probably address uh, so it doesn't go unnoticed. And, and that is we are not collecting uh, any type of browsing habits uh, or information on the part of the customer. All we're doing is just simply capturing data through, but uh, that, that's all we really want to know. Um, because we often get that question uh, about, you know, specifically what are we collecting? You know, we, we try to hang our device at the closest point to the customer's internet connection. Uh, we don't want uh, to be uh, behind other applications or other things that are, that are operating uh, Wi-Fi devices. If we can be on the far end uh, node to their, to their internet connection, that's, that's our goal because we want to, all we're measuring is throughput. Do you do any uh, screening sort of uh, survey to assess digital literacy of the uh, participants? We have not. Um, when we send out the device, we do have a pretty good instructional booklet that we've tested pretty well. And we also have our website. We And so th that's part of what the pilot study was too. Like, can we mail this to a random participant and they can actually plug it into their network and get it plugged in successfully? And so we found that 80% of our participants actually got it plugged in with no calls back to us, which we thought was pretty awesome. And um, we did have a couple that tried to plug it into their monitor or um, do some weird things, but uh, <laughs> a quick phone call, we were able to help them out and get it connected. I um, mean, since we can see whether or not the devices are connected because they start sending data back to us, then we're able to sort out like who has their device plugged in and who doesn't. So then we can be proactive and make those calls. But yeah, it does take a little bit of um, just a little bit of education, right? For some of those users, but we've been pretty successful in our pilot and it makes us think that um, we'll, we'll keep having success moving forward. So. Yeah, that, that could be a interesting thing. I uh, think to try and assess uh, whether or not 
uh, more or less uh, digitally literate uh, uh, participants perceive uh, their internet experience to be better or worse. Um, that would also be potentially really valuable uh, information. Uh, Matt uh, Larson uh, has a question and I'd like to ask Matt as he asks the question, uh, is there a particular reason that you're asking this question? Because uh, I, I think it's a really potentially important question. Well, it's an important question and I have a particular interest potentially in it. Uh, so the, the question I had was whether your device takes into consideration other applications the customers are using. Because we have to do testing for our CAF2 compliance. And one of the issues you run into is, you know, if somebody runs a speed test and the kids downstairs watching movies are doing a game update, then you're going to get really bad results. You're going to show high latency. You're going to show... Uh, uh, you know, reduce speed. And in our testing, we, we set up something, we've been experimenting with customer managed routers that we have the ability to run a direct speed test on. And then we pull results off the interface, the actual interface going out. So it shows the combination of both our speed test and whatever applications they're running. So I think that's an important consideration because that's something I've noticed on all the other applications that run is when people are using their connection, they're using a lot of capacity. You know, we, as an ISP, we get regular complaints. My internet's slow, it stinks. You know, it's like your kid's downloading movies 24 seven and that's why your internet <laughs> stinks. So there, that, that comes up fairly often. Um, but uh, uh, I just, I wanted to find out if, that, if you have uh, consideration for that, if that's something you factored in. We do, and that's why that's why we came up with that model that we have to measure it over a week and we have to do testing every five to seven minutes because there should be an off time on a user's network when you see that full speed potential. Like um, we've run across very few instances, right? Like almost no instances where we cannot have that true speed reflected over a period of time. So when you're going from two to four in the morning, um, generally that's where we see that complete off peak time. Nobody's actively using the network. So it is a measure of throughput at a period in time, like you said, like most speed tests are. And that's why we wanted to quantify it a little bit better than those one-offs from Ookla because we do understand that's a problem, right? And when those majority of those speed tests happening are, is it because people are mad because their speed's slow because there's other business okay. on the network? So absolutely. Um, and that's why we look at those temporal patterns. And when the one thing that I wanted to note though on that, and this might go to that digital literacy education factor too, is that when we saw those zero, those zero times since you know networks are generally bursty and a lot of times even with video traffic people won't use their full capacity but when we're seeing those zeros reflected over a period of like two hours during a busy time to me that's still an indicator that there's something weird going on there because like maxing out your connection for that long and the fact that it was seen more prevalent in rural areas rather than urbanized areas uh, I don't know. I think there's something there that we want to sample further and test further. Yeah, I, I, I think the uh, uh, oversubscription in ISP service is like the dirty little secret. And I've been in lots of uh, technical meetings with operators of all different kinds. And that's where, you know, we know that we can only put so many people on an access point and then we need to add more capacity or we need to add another sector. But I've seen, you know, cable operators advertising, you know, 300, 400 meg speeds, and then people are reporting like 510 at peak. 
uh, hours. And we all know that the, the issue is, is not two in the morning, it's 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night where everything is pushed right to the limit because internet has replaced, it's replacing cable and replacing satellite for home entertainment. So uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be really interesting to figure out how, how that works. Cause I've seen oversubscribed fiber networks where they've got plenty of capacity on the last mile but they don't have enough middle mile or backbone infrastructure to get out to the internet and customers are seeing degradation. Uh, it happens a lot. I think the most, the most obvious one is, is rural users with copper DSL that are on long loops or highly, highly oversubscribed DSLAMs is I think the biggest source of your zeros out there. That, and then sometimes uh, I know people are using LTE hotspots for their primary internet and we see those drop to zero all the time too. I absolutely love the observation. I'd never thought about this. I use speed test as a diagnostic tool. When I am walking around my house and suddenly I'm getting, I've switched from one of my uh, Wi-Fi mesh nodes to another and I don't have connectivity, I run a speed test and I walk around, I reload my Wi-Fi and I keep running it over and over and over until uh, I go from 0.001 upload speeds to my uh, 40 megabit per second upload speeds or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm on fiber here. Um, and that's a lot of bad data that I just generated. That is fascinating. <laughs> I never thought about that. Uh, what, one last question uh, that I have uh, is, um, do you do any checks or have you given any thoughts to how uh, uh, all this testing might actually affect the networks that you're monitoring. Um, if you have a large number of customers, uh, a large number of participants on a rural network uh, and you're running one of these massive transfers every five minutes or so, I, I could see that putting a lot of bandwidth, a lot of data onto the mid-mile uh, connection uh, and actually slowing things down for everyone. <laughs> have you thought about that? You know, I have. I've given that some thought. I. I, I, there's no, there's no real cure for that, right? Because when you do the speed test, it does download a file that's approximately the size of a customer's connection. And right now we're saying that we really do only want to roll out 50 and there's reasons for that too on the network, right? As well as we roll out, want to roll out 50 and we want to see where that sampling ends up so that we can kind of shift instead of trying to throw a hundred devices in a, in a specific area. But you bring up an important point. So uh, we have, uh, th thank you, uh, Angela. Thank you, Tim. Uh, really interesting uh, work. And uh, we, we have a new collaboration forming before our eyes. Thanks again to Tim and Angela for sharing this major discussion with us. I've been your host, Gus Hurwitz. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tech Refactored. If you want to learn more about what we're doing here at NGTC, you can go to our website at ngtc.unl.edu, or you can follow us on Twitter at unl underscore ngtc. You can listen to or download our podcast on our website, or find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. This podcast is part of the Menard Governance and Technology Programming Series, hosted by the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center. The Nebraska Governance and Technology Center is a partnership led by the Nebraska College of Law in collaboration with the Colleges of Engineering, Business, and Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska. Colin McCarthy produced and recorded our theme music. Casey Richter provided technical assistance and advice. Elspeth Magilton is our executive producer, and Lysandra Marquez is our associate producer. 
Till next time, keep measuring the divide.